Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel, forecasts, and success strategies. I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Visit bullrealty.com. Today, we have a special show for you. This is the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is what we're going to talk about. Uh, early this morning, the Senate approved this bill and have significant changes to the taxes in around the country for companies, for individuals. So we're going to look at the impact. We're going to look at the facts. We're going to look at how it might impact decisions if you run a business, if you own real estate, almost if you do anything in the United States. So please welcome my first guest, Mark Van Dusen. He's principal with the Washington National Tax Group of Deloitte. Mark, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Michael. So let's, Mark, if you will, briefly, uh, tell us some of the highlights, some of the, the major changes that you see uh, in this headed for us right away here. Well, Michael, I think that the headline news is that the changes in the tax rates, that for individuals, the highest tax rate is now going to be 37% down from 39.6, and the, the lower rates are also uh, below that are going to be cut as well. Uh, also, the thresholds at which the rates apply, though, those have been raised so that if you look solely at the tax rates, there's going to be for lots of folks in the, the United States a significant tax cut. Yeah, and that's interesting because of um Ryan, a Speaker of the House, Ryan suggests that uh, a, a family of four with a median income of median income of seventy three thousand will have an extra two thousand dollars. They are significant tax cuts, mm -hmm. uh, especially at the the lower rates. Uh, there are there are nuances here. If you are a high income earner and you are in uh, a high income tax state such as New York or California, although the tax rates are going down, the ability to deduct state and local income tax or property tax or sales tax is going to be capped at $10,000. For, so for a lot of people in those states or who otherwise have large state tax deductions, the benefit of lower rates may be mitigated or completely offset by the loss of the state right. tax deduction above $10,000. Right. And then also you have a cut in the corporate tax rate, right? Yes. Uh, this was one of the major drivers for, for tax reform is that our corporate tax rate of 35% is significantly higher than our competitors uh, in the, the developed world. If you look at Ireland, Ireland has a 12.5% corporate tax rate. And the, the new bill will reduce the corporate tax rate down to 21% effective 2018. So that is a 14% reduction in the corporate tax rate. And, and the real theory behind that is that's being done in, in, in part to make sure that our multinational corporations um, stay headquartered in the United States and aren't moving overseas to benefit from the lower corporate tax rates that our, our competitors impose. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like the most intelligent thing we've done in a long time. We need to keep industry in the U.S. So what about small businesses? Are there some additional benefits for small business owners? There are. One of the 
major provisions of this bill, and it's a real change in how we've we've taxed uh, small businesses. Is is a new? It's sometimes referred to as a pass-through rate, but it also does apply to businesses operated as sole proprietorships. And this this new pass-through rate applies by giving a 20% deduction off of any qualified business income. And so if you do the math on the 20% deduction against a the highest tax rate, 37%, that results in an effective tax rate of 29.6. So that's, that's a full 10 percentage points lower than the current top individual tax rate, which is 39.6%. Okay. Now this, sorry, it's for, for, for people that are, uh, operate in either partnership form or their sole proprietorship, this is this can result in a significant reduction in their their business income. And the part of the rationale for this was, well, we're reducing the corporate tax rate on C corporations, which tend to be larger entities. We also wanted to reduce the rate on. Uh, businesses that operate in a pass-through form, and so that's why you're seeing this this rate reduction of of 10% uh, for those folks who are at the, the highest income levels who are operating in a partnership or in a sole proprietorship basis. Right, like an S corp, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Also applies to an S corp. Well, I was going to say the, this rule is is pretty complicated. And uh, it, it does make a distinction based on your income level. If you you earn less than three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars, you get you get all of your income is entitled to this deduction and lower rate. Uh, but and that benefit phases out till it gets to four hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. But if you're above those amounts, then there are two new rules that apply. One, you don't get that rate at all if you're in what's called a, a specified services business, which would include accounting, uh, law, health care, uh, financial services. It also includes providing advice as a, a trader, investor, or dealer in securities and uh, partnership interest in commodities. It also applies to any business in which uh, a pr- the principal asset of the business is the reputation of one or more of the employers, uh, employees or the owner. So take, for example, accounting firms and law firms, they're, a lot of their uh, higher income owners are not going to get the benefit of this. There's also another rule that says, well, even if you're not in one of these specified businesses, let's say that you you own commercial real estate in a partnership form, your ability to claim this deduction is going to be uh, limited. It It's the greater of two numbers. One, uh, 50% of the W-2 wages of the, of the business. Now, for real estate, don't have it significant wage income. So that that on its own could have limited the ability of, of real estate to benefit from this deduction. But it's a greater of. And the, the second number is the, the sum of 25% of the W-2 wages of the, of the business plus 2.5% of the adjusted tax basis of the 
depreciable assets used in the business. And that 2.5% number, based on our preliminary modeling, we think that for a lot of commercial real estate investors and other real estate investor investments where they are capital intensive, that that is that uh, although there is this limitation now that that particular aspect of it will likely allow many real estate partnerships to fully benefit from this new 20% deduction and uh, 29.6% tax rate. Okay. We're talking with Mark Van Dusen with Deloitte about the Tax Cuts Jobs Act. So let's talk a little bit more, Mark, about the the changes that will impact commercial real estate uh, industry participants. So 1031 exchange, that escaped uh, any changes, right? For real estate, it yeah, did. For real estate, yeah. Real, and, real estate, you still get 1031 exchanges, but personal property, you will not be able to get that. And so uh, 1031 exchanges of fleets of airplanes will not apply. Also, if you have any personal property as a part of a larger real estate like-kind exchange, you'll still get like-kind exchange tax-deferred treatment on the real estate, but not on the personal property. Okay. How about interest and depreciation? What changes do we see there? Uh, big changes for a lot of taxpayers, not huge changes for people who are in real estate. Okay. The, the part of the rationale of the, the Republicans in putting this together was they wanted to reduce the incentives in the tax code to capitalize a business with interest as opposed to capital. And the, the way that that was done was to say that if you have net business interest expense, your ability to claim that is going to be limited to 30% of adjusted taxable income. And that, that adjusted taxable income, if you boil it down, it's basically EBITDA before 2022, and then after 2022, the measure is, is EBIT. Uh, but for a, a lot of people, this is going to limit their ability who are in business to claim uh, net business interest expense. Importantly, for real estate, there is an exception. Uh, anyone who's in a real estate trade or business is not subject to this 30% limitation. And that is, is defined very broadly to include not just constructing and developing and renting real estate, but also serving as a, a broker or a, a manager of real estate. Uh, and so that, that is a, um, that's a significant recognition by Congress of, of how important leverage is to commercial real estate as, as an economic growth, growth driver and that commercial real estate and, and people who are in the real estate industry are generally not going to be subject to this new 30% limitation on interest. Okay. Now let's talk about carried interest. I mean, a lot of commercial real estate deals, there's a uh, principles putting together a deal as limited partners, and some of his profits are in the risk and, and in the in the labor he puts in and maybe his risk on signing on a mortgage. So what's up with carried interest? Carried interest, you may remember from the election both mm -hmm. President Trump and Secretary Clinton both ran on changing the taxation of carried interest. Uh, prior versions of carried interest had set up systems under which uh, all of the income attributable to a, an interest provided for uh, providing services to a partnership, all of that income would be taxed at ordinary income rates, regardless of whether that was attributable to capital gain recognized by the partnership. 
the, the new bill does have a carried interest provision. It is significantly less draconian than anything that has been proposed to date. And the way that this would work is it would apply a, a three-year holding period rather than a one-year holding period in determining whether you have uh, capital gain from a, a partnership interest that was provided for uh, providing services. And so if you were to, say, sell your partnership interest, your, your carried interest in a partnership, if you'd held that for two years, uh, you, you'd get short-term capital gain, which is taxed at ordinary income rates. You'd have to hold that interest for at least three years for you to be able to benefit from long-term capital gains rates. Okay. All right. Uh, well, that's good news compared to what some of the discussions were, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, we have uh, listeners, too, that are uh, concerned about the the uh, residential home market. It uh, impacts uh, the economy in a big way, and especially if you're a, sort of a builder. What about interest write-offs for uh, homes? That was an, an, another big change. Currently, you can deduct interest on first and second mortgages up to a million dollars of principal plus home equity lines of $100,000. This bill would eliminate the ability to deduct home equity line interest. You could still deduct interest on first and second homes, but the the debt limit is now $750,000 rather than a million dollars. And so that's kind of the headline news of the mortgage interest deduction is being retained with, with some small limitations. But there's another provision of the bill that doubles the standard deduction. It's now for joint filers going to go to $24,000. And the, the realtors, have they came out and opposed to this bill because they said, well, look, the doubling of the standard deduction, well, that's really a backdoor way to eliminate the benefit of the mortgage interest deduction, because now you're going to go to a world in which the only people who are going to itemize and therefore get the benefit of a mortgage interest deduction are people who have uh, m more than $24,000 of state taxes capped at $10,000, charitable deductions, and then mortgage interest. And that that's a pretty small subset of, of the, the country overall. And so they've, they've viewed this as a, a backdoor way of reducing the incentive that the mortgage interest deduction provides for people to acquire homes. And so that will certainly ripple through uh, to the single-family homes market, may be bad for single-family homes, conversely may be very good for multifamily. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because if you take away some of the other financial benefits of increased jobs, increased GDP, increased companies moving into the U.S., which obviously could benefit the housing market, you look at that alone and maybe it's a negative. Mark, I want to get your opinion on some other the impact from this, the, this Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Mark after this break. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you a real estate agent? Hi, this is Michael Bull. Would you like consistent high income? Would you like to be the top producer in your office? Would you like to be known as the go-to broker in your market? Well, I have something for you. Visit CommercialAgentSuccess.com. 
Invest alongside real estate experts, sponsors who have a successful track record and skin in the game. It's as easy as one, two, three. Learn about the deals, make your investment, and grow your financial wealth. Visit arborcrowd.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. If you're a commercial real estate agent, check it out. You'll be glad you did. Today we're talking about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. My uh, guest is Mark Van Dusen. He's with Deloitte. He's principal of the Washington National Tax Group. And Mark, we talked about some of the changes that we see uh, in this in this uh, proposal that uh, looks like it's it's uh, going to be nailed down here in the next day or so. So, what will be the impact if the if corporations have more money to spend? If our corporate tax rate is reduced? Uh, are we going to have more jobs? And, you know, when you think about commercial real estate, it's really driven by the tenants, the, the retail, industrial, and office tenants out there. Uh, might that impact jobs in a big way and, and help commercial real estate? Michael, I'm, I'm a tax lawyer, so I, commenting on the economy is a, a little bit outside of my expertise. But I, I can say that that is the whole theory of this tax bill. Of the Republicans was this this bill was was drafted with the intention of trying to increase growth gr- growth and some of the decisions that they made were were always made with the idea of how will it increase growth and I'll take for example like kind exchanges like kind exchanges a prior Republican bill had proposed to completely eliminate like kind exchanges for real estate. But the real estate industry went in and educated Congress and said, well, that may raise some revenue and that may help you offset some tax cuts, but that's going to cause the commercial real estate market to freeze up and b- because they, they didn't want the limitations on growth. That's why we got the ability to retain like-kind exchanges, and I think that that same rationale flows through this tax bill, whether, whether the theory will will actually result in more growth, we'll all just have to wait and see. Right. And are there some changes uh, in this co- this act that could cause companies to maybe be more interested in uh, leasing than owning, maybe do more sell leasebacks? Uh, ab- absolutely. The, the interest limitation that applies, uh, that doesn't apply if you uh, are in a real estate trade or business. But that requires that you're you're kind of an active participant in real estate. You you're renting it out. It doesn't just mean that you own real estate. So if you are a widget maker and you own your corporate headquarters, or a manufacturing facility, or an industrial facility, and that's either on a mortgage loan or part of the collateral for your your credit line, then your interest deductions attributable to that could be limited under this new 30% limitation. But if that widget maker were to sell that real property to somebody who was in a real estate trader business, uh, a real estate partnership or a commercial uh, REIT, then the, the person who's in the business, they're not subject to the interest limitation. And the widget maker, it gets 100% deduction for all of the rental payments that it makes, no limitation on those. And in the past, one of the big impediments to doing a 
sale leaseback transaction, especially if you were a C corporation, was the corporate was the tax a 35% tax on on the gain that you recognized. Now that's 21%. And I, I do a lot of work for REITs. REITs actually have an ability to provide partnership interests in their what are called operating partnerships, so they can acquire properties on a tax deferred basis. So if you do a transaction with a REIT. You may be able to do a, a not a sale leaseback, but a contribution leaseback, where you don't even have the upfront uh, tax on the initial transaction. And so, one of the things that we'll be looking to see is whether these new rules on interest change the way that that a lot of real estate is held today, so that that it's held more by people who are professionally involved in real estate and less by people who are engaged in in other businesses, but just happen to own real estate as part of that business. Yeah, that is extremely interesting, Mark, because, you know, that market is so hot. Those cap rates uh, are really low on single-tenant net lease uh, properties with, with credit tenants. So now if there's an, an additional advantage for these corporations to, to do that, those sell leasebacks. Now, there are already a lot of advantages uh, in the, already, but now when you look at that, yeah. that's incredible. And that single-tenant net lease market is a big part of, of the commercial real estate world. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and the single tenant net lease properties. You know, if you look back at the the uh, recession that we had, that was probably the the food group, the sector uh, that escaped the most uh, damage. Uh, you know, you had long term leases with credit tenants, and uh, you know, you didn't have the defaults uh, uh, that you did in the other property types. Yes, m- m- much easier for a long term triple net lease. Uh, property owner to survive a downturn than a, than a hotel. Yeah. So anything else, uh, Mark, that uh, you think that uh, uh, Ryan or, or our president or, or you know, what the stock market uh, is, is expecting from, from, these tax, from these changes in the Jobs Act, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act? Well, I think we've all seen the, the run-up in the, the, the market, which may or may not be due to the expectations on the, on the tax bill. I'll, I'll leave that to the economists. Uh, I will note that this bill was passed very quickly, and there, uh, there are a lot of things in this bill that when we look at it going forward, we may think that, well, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe that wasn't what, what was intended. Uh, given the politics in Washington, it may be very difficult to get corrections to this bill going forward. So uh, I think the people on the phone who, when they go to talk to their tax advisors, they should should be aware that they they may be told by their tax advisors some answers where they think, well, that that's just too good to be true, and it and it may be, but that's what the law says, and they may get some answers that say, well, that that can't be the the rule. That's just that's too harsh, and that from a policy perspective may be the case, but th- this bill was written pretty quickly and there there are some things in here that I think will surprise folks as we actually go to implement it. And one of the things I've heard that uh, they were trying to do is make the tax code simpler. That doesn't sound like that was accomplished, at least in our discussion so far. Well, I think it depends on, on who you're looking at. If you were looking at uh, someone on their individual tax return who is is low or middle income, the, the 
the doubling of the standard deduction is really going to cause a lot of people to not have to itemize their deductions, not have to retain a lot of records, uh, and is, it may not be great for TurboTax, but it, it is going to significantly reduce the compliance burdens for a lot of people out there. Now, if you go to the the people in the commercial real estate industry and people who operate through pass-throughs and especially on the international side, there are new complexities that, that are coming as part of this bill. There's also some, some significant new benefits that come with that, so that's the downside of it. So I think it, the complexity point, I think it, it depends on who you're looking at. If it's on the individual side, I think there is a lot of simplification in this bill, and, and it's very it, it, that should be commended. On the business side, there there are some complications in, in this bill that were not in the, the code previously. Okay. Well, Mark, any final thoughts for our audience uh, regarding, regarding this? Uh, lots to talk to your tax advisors about this. Uh, those who know the rules will be able to uh, take advantage of them and uh, operate their businesses on a more tax-efficient basis. So, uh encourage you all to um, make sure that as you're going into ne- to next year that you're um, fully benefiting from all of the incentives for growth that are that are in this legislation. Great. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us. We appreciate the information. My pleasure. Take care, Michael. Yeah, so that was Mark Van Dusen, a principal of the Washington National Tax Group at Deloitte. Well, stay with us. We'll have more on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act including the impact for you and me, people in the real estate industry. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by Real Crowd. You can invest in large commercial real estate projects with small amounts of money at realcrowd.com. Today we're talking about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. It has been passed. The president is signing it. And uh, so what does it mean for commercial real estate practitioners? What does it mean for the companies that are the tenants in our buildings? Or what does it mean for your personal business? Please welcome my next guest. It's Mitch Rochelle. He's partner and business development leader with PwC. And he's joining us on Skype. Uh, Mitch, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Michael. So, Mitch, this is uh, seems like a historic uh, change in, in tax reform that we're seeing in the U.S. And, uh, you know, we've had you on the show. Our, our uh, fans of the show know you well. We appreciate uh, your outlook. Uh, you know, and, and it's interesting because I think when we're in the business every day like we are uh, in my shop, you know, we think that, that we know everything. But it's interesting that you guys, you kind of look at all aspects of it, the economy, uh, and, and you studied every second of the day, and I really appreciate your outlook on things. So one of the things I'd, I'd like to first ask your opinion of is it's called the Jobs Act, right, uh, or the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So what might it really do for jobs? Because jobs really, you know, power, they're the, they're the engine of commercial real estate. Yeah, and I think uh, 
the entire impetus for the legislation on the corporate side, because don't forget, there's individual cuts uh, and reform and restructuring, and there's also uh, corporate, bringing the rate down from 35 to 21. The whole impetus behind that is the creation of jobs in America. And if you go back a little bit, one of the things you realize, and we had a 35% top rate for corporations, and that's C corporations, not S corporations. When you looked at that compared to the rest of the world, there's only a handful, if not one or two countries that have a higher, had a higher uh, top corporate rate. So we really weren't competitive in terms of where people wanted to do business globally. And this isn't uh, the same story of the 80s when we had the Reagan tax cuts. Um, right now, the, the economy is so global and interconnected that in order for the United States to be relevant as a place to do business, we had to lower those corporate tax rates. Um, in doing that, the plan is and the belief is that jobs will be created because those uh, manufacturing facilities could be in the United States versus elsewhere. Um, so there's a couple of components. One is the cost of labor is certainly a driver in terms of where multinationals manufacture goods, where their supply chain rests. We do anticipate seeing some companies of varying sizes uh, returning back uh, to the United States. So, so that that's a good thing. OK, um, the the challenge is we're not really going to know for some time um, because this is a tax rate that benefits those corporations in 2018. Um, and uh, we're glad that, by the way, because if you remember, the Senate bill had deferred that to 2019. So the good news is it's effective uh, January 1. But the corporate decision making process has really been on hold for a while, not knowing how this thing's going to land. So I'd anticipate you're going to start seeing the benefit in headline numbers and job creation much, much later in 2018. But you got to look at this over the the longer term and not just the quarter to quarter as publicly traded companies do. A lot of words. You said you'd keep me on the air until I get boring. So hopefully I'm not boring yet. But uh, all in all, uh, it, it is intended to be uh, stimulative to the economy from a perspective. So what would you assume we'd see in GDP? I mean, we've had kind of uh, slow growth. Uh, do you think we'll get a jolt there? Yeah, I said on uh, uh, another network, uh, that's giving you credit for being a network there, Michael. But I said on another network, if you get 100 economists in a room, you can get 150 answers. Um, so I haven't read any one report that makes me jump up and down. Uh, but here's the thing to remember about the economy. The last two quarters, we saw GDP growth considerably ahead of expectations, and they actually had a three in front of them as opposed to the ones and the twos that we had. We've had 3% plus year-over-year uh, -year GDP growth for two consecutive quarters. That's a really, really good thing because I'll refer to that as a tailwind. So if you're going to have tax cuts that are going to intended to be stimulative to the economy, create jobs, create more consumer confidence, create more consumer spending, don't forget the consumer is about 70% of our economy, um, then by golly, you might as well have a, a tailwind in the form of the last two quarters. We got a running start. Yeah. So um, the starting place, though, if you look at a lot of the uh, economists that did models about the tax plan, they were starting at a much lower point. They were looking at sort of historical trends of the economy, not necessarily where we are right now. 
So, yeah, well, let's uh, talk about that for a second. So I assume the consumers uh, haven't adjusted uh, their thoughts as of yet and, and how, how they're going to react to this. But is some of this maybe baked into the stock market and, and company decisions? I mean, these tax breaks have been talked about. It was part of the, uh, President Trump's uh, promise to us, right? Is some of this baked in the market? Oh, it's absolutely, Michael, baked into the market. Uh, in fact, uh, I don't want to timestamp this interview, but you saw uh, a day in the sale in the trading in the stock market when it looked like this thing was going to happen and the market sold off because people were selling the news. Uh, the fact of the matter is it's been baked in for a while. But if you look at the number of um, S&P 500 companies that have an effective tax rate of over 21 percent, because uh, the effective tax rate is what they actually pay. There are many companies in the S&P 500 that have an effective tax rate in the high 20s and 30s. You lower that uh, actual tax rate to the 21% statutory, maximum statutory rate. What you're going to do is create earnings per share uh, because you've just lowered the tax burden. Um, that is somewhat baked into it, but the combination of the strong quarters we've seen in, in revenue growth and earnings per share growth um, and the growth in the economy and the confidence of the consumer, uh, that's a lot of tailwind for the stock market. And I'm a real estate uh, guy and not a stock picker, uh, but it does look like there's still a lot of uh, room there from a tailwind perspective. Well, let's get back to uh, real estate uh, in your strike zone. Um, residential real estate, I mean, that's always a big impact on the economy. You know, they uh, reduced the uh, interest write-off, what, from uh, a million down to 750, some other changes. What do you think the impact of, of this tax act uh, is on single-family homes? And yeah, so let's sort of break it down this way. Uh, this week we saw housing stock data that was strong. We saw home builder confidence that was strong. Uh, still some more uh, economic data points to come out on the housing market. We're in the this, the, the kind of the, the, the cold end of the season from the housing market, yet we saw a strong pickup in housing starts. Some of that is influenced by the rebuilding that's taking place in those areas like Texas, the Gulf Coast, Florida, that were devastated by uh, a sequence of events and hurricanes. Um, it is single family build, which is great because we've seen a lot of the housing starts be multifamily built. But I have a really kind of crazy contrarian view a lot of economists out there have commented that the tax bill as structured, taking uh, limiting the home mortgage deduction uh, a little bit with the 750 cap, increasing the size of the standard deduction, uh, taking away state and local tax benefits, especially uh, limiting the, the property tax uh, deduction to $10,000, assuming you don't otherwise use it for other taxes could cause people to say, hey, wow, the after-tax incentives of buying a home just aren't there anymore. Um, if that happened and it did lessen the demand to buy homes, I would argue a contrarian point, which is we are forming households. Uh, statistically, a household formation is when children move out of their parents' house. Michael, you can applaud right there because that <laughs> may be something you're looking forward to. Um, but we're forming households at a greater rate than we're adding to supply of both single family and multifamily, meaning there's pent up demand, three and a half million individuals worth pent up demand for housing. So even if we lose some demand right now because people don't see the incentives, there's still enough pent up demand to really drive the market home. And the other thing, and I've said it on your show before, the biggest single issue in the housing market is affordability. 
And if we lower the prices of homes because the mark free market lowers the prices of homes because of the tax bill, and that just means that they become a little bit more affordable, that pent up demand is going to kick back in and pop those prices up again. So I don't see this as being catastrophic for the housing market in any way. We're talking with Mitch Rochelle with PwC about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And Mitch, how big a deal is this today? Uh, it, it's huge. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just say that so I could say that? You and I know each other well enough. That was a total, that was like a... A, a lob up. A T-ball. <laughs> like five-year-old T-ball. <laughs> but you know... No, what? I think it's really... I think it's re- I think it really is. Uh, you know, listen, I'm old enough. I'm not going to carbon date you there, but uh, I think you and I are around the same age. I was around for the um, 86 Tax Act. I was around for the 81 uh, tax bill and certainly the tax reductions before them. I was on the planet for the Kennedy tax uh, cuts, but I don't know that I understood them. I was probably still drinking out of a bottle, uh, <laughs> not the kind you drink out of, Michael. But in any event, uh, the, the fact of the matter is uh, those job cuts like that are catalytic and can be very catalytic uh, to the economy. And, and and I'm really excited to see what happens. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you know, when I talk to our clients about this today, uh, there's a lot of excitement. I think when if you look at, at the, the name of the act, the uh, tax cuts, jobs act, uh, you mean, uh, you, know, you think about tenants, jobs you know that's the the tenants really drive the commercial real estate industry and if they're using more office space they're selling more goods more industrial space and then and then retail so look at if the consumers have more money americans have usually shown they will spend it right yeah god yeah and you know the good news is there's a while there where we were saving as a nation now uh, you know the, the the size of the debt on the personal balance sheet of the average American sort of back to some pre-recession high levels. But, but, but I'd focus on retail sales, holiday year to date, which are ahead of expectations, those that we publish, those that the National Retail Federation publishes, and those that others that have probably been on your show have published. That really says that the consumer is very bullish, the consumer confidence numbers have been strong, and that's also the thing that's gonna drive the economy. What we have to keep an eye on is the acquisition of debt uh, and making sure that Americans don't get sort of ahead of their skis in terms of how much they're spending. Uh, we're going to probably see an uptick in auto sales as well. Capital goods tend to do well when people feel confident and want to uh, want to spend. The other thing, just speaking about capital for a second, that I don't want to lose sight of is the, the full expensing provisions are really fascinating. Uh, when you talk to small business owners or smaller business owners and you ask them what provision in the tax um, reform really is the most intriguing to them, many of them go immediately to um, full expensing because you know, whether it be uh, the, the charter fishing captain that has a boat and is thinking of buying a new boat or even new equipment for the boat, whether it be um, the landscaper that's thinking of buying another truck or another two trucks and hiring more people. Uh, I was in a uh, Uber car the other day and I was doing a pre-interview for uh, a segment uh, that I was doing on, uh, on one of the cable news programs. And the Uber driver listened to the whole conversation. And when we got in to, to my home, he said, by the way, I listened to everything you said. And I was like, thanks for eavesdropping. And he said, I happen to agree with all of it. He goes, I think that there's 
uh, tax bill is great. I'm buying another car. And he goes, and if I buy a second car, I have to hire somebody to drive it. I'm creating jobs. Isn't that what this bill was intended to do? And both, by the way, you couldn't sum it up better than that. Yeah. So the full expensing um, really is something that's going to, at the small business level, really be uh, a, a tremendous catalyst potentially for hiring uh, individuals. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I think it's pretty exciting for uh, America, you know, for the U.S. and for jobs and for commercial real estate folks. Well, uh, Mitch, what would you leave our audience with related to this tax reform, this this big day in our economy? Uh, I'll say two things. Number one, the staff at Bull Realty is commenting on needing a new copy machine and a coffee maker. <laughs> so maybe you can take advantage of some of those tax write-offs uh, yeah. in, in the new year. Um, the one thing that I, it's not caution, it's just something to pay attention to, is the lower tax rate or effective tax rate on pass-throughs with the 20% re, uh, deduction that exists, that's pretty complicated stuff. And I have a background in it and I look at it and I scratch my head a little bit uh, with respect to it. It's not straightforward. Uh, it's certainly not simple. And there's a fair amount of ambiguity. And it's not gonna be a year or two until the Treasury Department writes the rules. They put a lot of anti-abuse measures into the bill itself, but there's a heck of a lot of gray area. And I say that because the real estate industry is a big user of pass-through entities, partnerships, LLCs, uh, S-Corps, um, and there will be some confusion in the industry around how to characterize income and whether or not something's active or passive and, and what are services and what are wages. So a lot of that is going to be, I think, fodder for future episodes of the Commercial Real Estate Show. And for that, I'll get one of my colleagues who's far more technical than I am. But I do think that that's something to be aware of because it's not exactly straightforward. I, I did just bring a prop, though. This is the, um, if you can see it there, this is the postcard uh, that, oh, my lights just went out. I must have really been boring to them in my office. But uh, uh the, the goal of it was to simplify the the filing of your tax return, mostly for individuals. For businesses, especially those business organized as pass-through, it's going to be complicated. Uh, and uh, uh, I wasn't putting in a commercial for PwC, but uh, it's going to be a lot of work that people are going to have to do with their uh, professional service providers to sort some of it out. Yeah, yeah. well, good points. And, uh, Mitch, uh, you're never boring. Thanks for joining us. i let you get back to your, your basketball game. I'll see your basketball there. So uh, that, is, uh, that is a Carmelo Anthony. Uh, it's a relic of the uh, <laughs> Knicks past. It's a Carmelo Anthony signed basketball. But, Michael, thanks. And, and uh, to you and your team uh, there at Full Realty, I wish you all a very uh, happy holiday season and a happy new year. You too, Mitch. Thank you. Well, stay with us. We'll have more on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, including the impact for you and me, people in the real estate industry. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Video is powerful. Some of the biggest brands in commercial real estate have trusted us to tell their story. We are Barnes Creative Studios, premier commercial real estate video services. BarnesCreativeStudios.com. Build out the best all-in-one marketing tool for your brokerage. Learn how you can create marketing materials instantly and streamline your property listings process. Visit buildout.com. 
Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit realcrowd.com. Choose between core, core plus, value add, or opportunistic. Visit realcrowd.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by GetValuate.com online investment analysis. Well, today we're talking about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. What does it mean for employers? What does it mean for real estate and the economy? Please welcome my next guest, Diane Umberger. She's a national tax REIT leader with Ernst & Young. Diane, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here. Thank you. So what do you think is the most significant part of this tax reform? I think the reduction of the corporate tax rate from 35% to 21% um, is is quite extreme. And um, I think that is probably the most significant part, um, that corporations will have see the, a big and immediate impact on the bottom line. And as we all know, earnings earnings drive the stock market, which we've already seen sort of some of that built in in the run-up to this legislation. And just the ability for corporations to be, be able to compete globally, uh, to create new jobs and grow. And that's sort of the theory behind reducing that corporate tax rate. Yeah. Uh, another... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, uh, another part of it is the... Uh, Sort of transition to a territorial system and having a, a mandatory toll charge on tax deferred foreign earnings, bringing those earnings back to the U.S. Um, and for a time, there is going to be um, two different rates, one for cash and cash items and a lower rate for illiquid assets uh, like plant property and equipment and real estate, um, uh, treated as, property treated as real estate. And so I think that is a uh, a significant part of the uh, of the whole purpose behind this act, lowering the tax rate and bringing uh, bringing money and jobs back to the U.S. and and hopefully corporations will follow that and uh, start to uh, to build again here in the U.S. Okay, and what's the uh, lowest rate that a company can bring uh, funds back into the U.S. right now? Um, well, the, um, they're subject to you know, the regular corporate tax rate. Now that coming back, mm-hmm. there's going to be, it's either a 15.5% mm-hmm. rate in terms of uh, cash and cash items, mm-hmm. or with illiquid assets, it's, it's going to be 8%. Mm-hmm. So um, a U.S. shareholder can also elect to pay that tax over a period of eight years. So it, they won't get stung with it necessarily all at once. Nice, nice. We're talking with Diane Umberger, and she's with Ernst & Young. And, and Diane, how might this act impact jobs? I mean, if corporations have a lot more money, uh, are they going to hire more? Are they going to expand? Might it be an impact for commercial real estate and the REITs that own the properties? Mm-hmm. I think that is is uh, certainly the, the idea, that when the corporate rate is lowered, um, that corporations can be more competitive, that they will have higher corporate earnings. That will enable them to do more research and development, 
create new jobs. Um, they have to put those people and, and those that equipment somewhere. So there could be a positive impact on the demand for real estate and space. So if you think about office space, if you think about warehouse space, that could positively impact real estate. Um, for REITs in, in particular, um, you know, there's always, REITs are always watching what the corporate tax rate will be. I mean, to be a REIT, it's a lot more than just what the rate is. So a 21% rate, um, I, I think, will, will not negatively impact, you know, a company's decision to be a REIT. Um, and there are some provisions in fact which we'll talk about, which I think are, are certainly beneficial to REITs. Okay, well, excellent. Well, um, what might be the impact of abolishing the penalty for not having health insurance that had Obama had put in place? Well, I think what the there's a, there is a lot of speculation about that right now. Um, I've been listening, as you probably have as well, as to um, what what the potential impact will be. I think immediately. Without having that penalty, it's going to put the burden back on the individual. Um, they'll have to they'll have the choice whether they're going to obtain health insurance or not. Um, I think the whole health insurance area, though, as we know, is is a lot more involved in that than that, and there's going to have to um, be a lot more work done um, in terms of where these premiums are going and to to get something that that makes sense and is affordable and is accessible uh, for, you know, for Americans. Because right now it is, um, you know, it's certainly not working. But right. I think the, abolishing the penalty was seen as, you know, a, a, a step that this Congress could take under reconciliation um, because we, it can't simply repeal the entire Affordable Care Act under reconciliation. Right. And this act does a lot of things. There's a lot of changes. It's uh, kind of a historic change uh, in tax reform. So, Diane, what are some potential headwinds? What are some potential negative issues from this? Well, I think it, it'd be only fair to recognize that the limit on the ability to deduct state uh, taxes and property taxes, it's now going to be a combined limit of $10,000. Um, and in those states where the property taxes are high uh, and the income tax is high, that is seen as a potentially um, potential negative negative um, effect of the legislation. So, for instance, states like New Jersey and New York and California, um, you know, will see an impact there if they have you know high high income if you know, high incomes and, and they live in in um, in homes that have uh, high, you know, subject to high property taxes. Um, but, you know, the decision to where to work and where to live um, is, is, a lot, is a lot bigger, you know, than just the amount of taxes that you pay. So um, I think it just remains to be seen what, whether this will have any um, real effect on behavior. Yeah, I agree. Home is home, right? <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's hard to leave. I wanted to mention, yeah, I wanted to mention the, the impact on REITs. Um, there is a new deduction that will allow individuals to deduct up to 20% of the ordinary dividends that they receive from REITs. Um, it's definitely seen as an incentive to invest in REITs and 
and along with other pass-through and small businesses. And so, um, but unlike those small businesses like C-Corps and sole proprietorships, there isn't a phase-out for uh, high-income owners mm. when it comes to the, the dividends received by received from REITs. So um, that's a good that's a good provision. Yeah, for, that, for REIT investors. Yeah, it seems like an excellent provision. And uh, when will uh, employees start seeing an impact in their paychecks from these tax changes? I think what I heard um, and have been seeing is, is, is really uh, when the new withholding comes into effect, which would be, I think, the first week in February. And I think that's what the messaging has been to, to, to look at that um, as being sort of the, the first time individuals can actually see something in, in black and white. But, I mean, I, anybody that invests in the market, I think, is just, you know, keep a keep an eye on that as well because the market is always responding to to change and I think it is it is doing so on a, you know, and has been during the run up for this this legislation. Right. Well Diane, what would be a, your parting comment for our audience uh, regarding this historic tax reform? I think as a whole, um, I, I think don't look at, at any one provision um, I, I take step back and look at the you know, the overall corporate rates, the overall individual rates, which we didn't really talk about being um, being reduced um, in sort of in in the context of some of these other limits on, on other deductions. And, and when you sit back and take a look at it as a whole, um, combined with the people's individual investments in their in their own real estate and in the, in the market, in their 401k plans, um, to see what the overall impact will be but, you know, before you just sort of look at one provision and say, oh, this is negative, so it's not going to help me. Because there are other things. There are things like the estate tax um, exclusion has been doubled, so that will help families um, with farms and, and, and property to, to leave to their, to their children. Um, and then... The ANWR, you know, we didn't talk about that, but that could uh, certainly, the people in Alaska were happy about that. That got into this legislation as well and could impact our, our energy. Um, so I think there's an awful lot in here. And so I would say just sort of don't look at any one provision in exclusion. You kind of have to step back and look at the whole picture. Yeah, very good tip. Diane Umberger with Ernst & Young. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. And thank Thank you for joining us around the country on iTunes, YouTube, radio stations, podcasts, however you're joining us. Maybe you're on our website, CREshow.com. What are your comments? What do you think about this tax reform? Uh, Comment uh, on these uh, podcasts, on these videos, uh, or connect with us on social media and let us know what you think. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions, Arbor Crowd, invest alongside real estate experts, Get Valuate, online investment analysis, CommercialAgentSuccess.com, better serve clients, earn more commissions, Build Out, marketing for your brokerage, Real Crowd, crowdfunding with the professionals. 
For more information on these great companies, visit CREshow.com. And you're invited to subscribe to the show on YouTube and iTunes and connect with us on your favorite social media.